0: Everyone knows that if you load a tall statue onto an ox cart, you better have a level road under its wheels or the statue will tumble off. For that reason, Every year in the ancient city of Babylon, they had to repair the road that led from the city out to the New Year's festival grounds. They had to fill in potholes and level out bumps that had developed since last year, or else the statue of their patron deity Marduk would be humiliated by a fall. Marduk had to be present at the festival, where each year the Babylonian king would be ritually humbled, then reinvested with regal power to reign in the name of and for the glory of Marduk, their god. The Jewish refugees exiled in Babylon would have witnessed this road repair infrastructure effort annually. After the generation passed away that had departed Judea chained to their captors and a new generation of Babylonian-born Judeans succeeded them, the idea that they would ever again return grew fainter. There were some big obstacles in the way of wanting that return. For many who had established lives, married, built homes, and had children in Babylon, even the will to return diminished. So the prophets, like the author of 2nd Isaiah, the Isaiah of the 6th century period of exile, felt inspired to call his compatriots to return. 2nd Isaiah used the annual road preparation as the perfect image to call for the return to Judea. When the Babylonians fell To the Persians, their king Cyrus opened the door for the return, and Isaiah took that as a sign that God was calling the people back to the promised land. So he said, remove the obstacles. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low, and the uneven ground shall become level. The return required preparation. The new thing that God was doing required the people's faithful response. The obstacles had to be removed. So in the New Testament, the way Luke tells the story of Jesus, that same image is perfect. Jesus came announcing that God's kingdom was a reality. It was among them, even within them. That was the new thing God was doing. So people had to be prepared for the message. Preparation had to be made for the announcement of such good news. So Luke tells us that John was the one to make those preparations. Out in the wilderness, on the banks of the Jordan River, like the voice crying out so long ago, John stood calling out the same message, prepare the way of the Lord. How should the people prepare? By removing the obstacles. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth. In Advent, we hear again the call to prepare the way for the new thing that God is doing in our lives, and in our church community, and in our world. We hear the call to prepare the way as a call to remove the obstacles. So the questions for us today are, What are the obstacles I face to embracing the new thing that God wants to do for me? And what are the obstacles we face to embrace the new thing that God wants to do for us? We meaning our congregation, our community, and our nation. In the tradition of the Hebrew prophets, Luke sets his story in a political context. First Isaiah, for example, had said that When he saw a vision of the Lord high and lifted up in the temple, it was in the year of the death of King Uzziah. In that political context, he heard the voice asking him, Whom shall I send? And he answered, Here I am, send me. The personal call was embedded in the political context. Similarly, Luke lists for us the public names of the emperor, the nearby governors, and the local priestly elites running the temple bank, before he tells of John the Baptist, who called for personal repentance as preparation. The personal call comes in the context of public politics. Why? Because the obstacles to the new thing that God is doing are always multiple, personal and political. Some are valleys that need to be filled in. Others are mountains and hills that need to come down. There is crookedness that needs to be straightened out and rough circumstances that require smoothing. So we ask ask ourselves, what are the obstacles in me and in us that need to be removed? We might identify them first by asking, what is the new thing that God wants to do in me and in us? How could we know? How could we understand the mind of God? Let's start with what we know. Our human concepts of God are always inadequate, but there are some things we can say. Our faith is that God is always and everywhere present to us. As our lives and our universe unfolds in an ever-evolving process, so God is involved in that process with us, moment by moment. We can never adequately grasp the nature of the divine, but there are more things that we can say with confidence. We believe that God is love. In the New Testament, the New Testament teaches us also that God is spirit. God is spiritually present to us. We all have this inner urge to goodness. Where does this come from? The spirit is that powerful lure to the next right thing, towards the goal of love. The Spirit is active in each circumstance, coaxing us to take the next step into a future of beautiful, loving possibilities. Even in horrible and evil circumstances, the Spirit is both suffering as we suffer and at the same time drawing us to a better future of healing and restoration. The Spirit is always offering us to come aboard, to get in sync with the new loving thing that God is doing in us and in the world. But there are obstacles. We are like those exiles in Babylon. The call to the new thing God is doing may seem difficult. The spirit can be resisted. The lure to love may not be listened to. There are reasons always, for not wanting the new thing that God offers. Let's examine some of them. In their book, The Human Element, Overcoming the Resistance That Awaits New Ideas, the authors identify four obstacles. Inertia, energy, emotion, and reactance. They explain them this way. Inertia is the powerful desire to stick with what we know despite the limitations the more a change deviates from the familiar the status quo the more inertia it will create it's easier to stay in babylon even though they were foreigners there all of us who have had to help aging parents move out of a house they can no longer keep up and into assisted living knows how inertia makes the right decision difficult the second obstacle effort is the energy, real and perceived, needed to make change happen. The greater the change being asked for, the more energy it may take, and so the greater the effort it will require. The effort of leaving Babylon and making that long journey must have seemed enormous, too much for many. And they probably imagined that rebuilding in the promised land would also require enormous effort. It's simply easier to stay put even in a bad situation. The third obstacle, emotion, refers to the unintended negative emotions created by the very change we seek to make. The more threatening the change, the greater the emotional response. Fear of the unknown is always present when change is coming. If we, what if we get attacked on the road from Babylon to the Promised Land? What if there are already people living there? What if? What if? Emotions can be powerful, obstacles. Reactance is the fourth obstacle. Reactance is the simple impulse to resist being changed. The doctor says, leave out the salt. We don't want to. We resist. When the pressure to change increases, so does the reaction against it. Think about vaccine mandates, for example. The more people felt pressured, the stronger their resistance became. So, inertia, energy, Emotion and reactance are powerful obstacles. They are the mountains and the valleys of the road, the crooked and rough places. But what if the new thing God wants to lure us towards does mean that we cannot cling to the way things are, the familiar? What if God's future does require real effort? What if the changes that following God's will demands What if the changes that following God's will demands feel threatening? What if there is real pressure to change because of circumstances we cannot control? Will we allow these obstacles to impede the way? Or will we do the preparation necessary, personally and collectively, to make the path straight and the rough ways smooth? Some of the Judeans in Babylon overcame the obstacles and made the journey back home. Some stayed home in Babylon. On the personal level, the call to prepare the way comes as a summons to personal spiritual practices that together, over time, overcome our personal obstacles to the openness to God's new future. Contemplative prayer, or meditation, because of its power to help us with our ego issues, is probably the most effective spiritual tool in the bag. Spiritual practices help us overcome our inertia. They give us spiritual energy we need to do the right thing. They enable us to have more emotional maturity. Spiritual practices help us see our own reactance and identify its source, which so often is wrapped up with our ego issues. On a collective level, We are called, as the affirmation of faith we will use today says, to unmask idolatries in church and culture, to hear the voices of peoples long silenced, and to work with others for justice, freedom, and peace. And this call comes with the full knowledge of the fact that we will encounter resistance. People will find it more appealing to stick with the way things have been, even if they have included racism, sexism, homophobia, and discrimination, even if the climate's temperature increases. We know that great effort will be required of us to make the changes love requires. We understand that people will feel threatened and get emotional, even shrill when, for example, gender identity is being discussed. We get it that the more pressure people feel they're under, the more resistant they will be. Nevertheless, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the God of love, lures us to the next right thing. The call to prepare the way is a call not to remain in place, but a call to a journey. This is a call to leave the comforts of Babylon, and head off into a wilderness between where we are and where we are called to be, both personally and collectively. It's a call to be reformed and always reforming. But the assurance we have is that the Spirit of God is with us and will be there for us every step of the way toward love.